Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's Saturday, March 13th, 2021. It's good to have you here for our Congregation Prayer Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. Being that it's Saturday, we're going to today consider oh, the one of, well, I should say the optional epistle reading for tomorrow and also the optional <laughs> Old Testament reading. All right, so there's, this may or may not be news to you, but there is a lectionary, a pointed set of readings. Uh, we use a series or a cycle that repeats each year, but within that uh, repetition, then there are often options. We call it the historic lectionary uh, because historically our churches celebrated uh, the same gospel text um, each Sunday of the church year, year to year. Uh, but there is inconsistency as to the epistle reading in particular. Not very much uh, inconsistency as far as the gospel goes, but but definitely when it comes to the epistle, depending on region to region, country to country. Um, and then also, uh, the Old Testament reading was not read at the divine service, so that has even more variation, I think, even than the epistle as to what Old Testament reading is appointed for the day. Um, so currently, we use a lectionary that's uh, given to us from a committee that met uh, around the Lutheran service book, and of course, they make some adjustments. Well, that being said, um, there are congregations that would perhaps prefer to have, um, I guess, what we call the historic readings from the Lutheran hymnal, the old red hymnal. Um, and so those are often given as options. Um, sometimes the preferred reading is from TLH. Sometimes the preferred reading is a new reading uh, to us uh, with the Lutheran, Lutheran service book. All right. So uh, there's, a, there's actually a richness of possibilities on each Sunday. Even if the gospel remains almost entirely consistent year to year uh, within the cycle, there's not usually an option. I think the only exception is the fourth Sunday in Advent, uh, where you can have the Magnificat, um, that text from Luke chapter chapter one, rather than um, the appointed uh, John the Baptist text. All right. So let's see here. Um, so we're going to do the Isaiah reading and the Acts reading, which are both, uh, I think, the alternate. I can't remember not the ones we're going to hear tomorrow. So that will add some richness uh, as they complement uh, the, the gospel text for tomorrow, which is the feeding of the 5,000 from John chapter 6. All right. Oh, and I should mention, uh, as we talked about last Sunday before church, uh, as, as the season of Lent ramps up in intensity towards our Lord's Passion during Holy Week, um, one thing about the fourth Sunday is that it's a, a break. It's called Latari, it means rejoice. It has its corresponding day during Advent, another penitential season, Gaudita, which also means rejoice, two different Latin words that we both translate as rejoice. So it's, it's actually sometimes called the, the Sunday of refreshment, right? So as your Lenten fast may be a little bit intense, um, as the texts have been uh, fairly direct and forceful as to um, sin, death, and devil, it's nice to get a break. And if we had uh, both paraments investments, so paraments meaning the, um, the coverings for the altar and the pulpit and lectern, uh, and then uh, vestments, what I would wear if we had a rose set, or sometimes, I guess, more pink, uh, but traditionally they're called rose. Anyway, if we had a rose set, we would use that on that third Sunday in Advent when we have the, the pink candle on the Advent wreath, um, and also on the fourth Sunday in Lent when we have a similar corresponding day of refreshment. But we don't have those things. Um, so I have, all I have is a rose stole. That's the only thing I have. So we'll stay purple tomorrow. All right. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our memory verse for this week, we say it together. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is uh, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. I had to do some catechesis on that text with our uh, day school children in our Wednesday chapel service because uh, we recognize, as a memory verse goes, there's a bunch of big words in there, right? Uh, so we went through each word. Of course, inspiration means it's God-breathed. It comes from, uh, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. Of course, we had to talk about what it means to be profitable. It's good. It benefits us for doctrine. That's the teaching, right? So to learn uh, who God is, who we are, uh, what, what is necessary to know for salvation. For reproof, um, that's to actually uh, correct false doctrine, right? For correction, that we're talking there about personal correction, right? To amend one's life and one's way. So God's word does that. It shows us where we have gone astray, that is where we sin. And then, of course, instruction in righteousness is to uh, instruct us in the way that we should go, right? Um, that is, namely, points us to Christ and to his way, because he is the way, the truth, and the light, right? So, points us to the narrow gate and leads us through, and he does that by his word. All that's wrapped up in one verse. Our psalm this week is Psalm 109. Be not silent, O God, of my praise, for wicked and deceitful mouths are opened against me, speaking against me with lying tongues. They encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. In return for my love, they accuse me, but I give myself to prayer. So they reward me evil for good and hatred for my love. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend kindness to him, nor any to pity his fatherless children. May his posterity be cut off. May his name be blotted out in the second generation. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord, and let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually, that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. For he did not remember to show kindness, but pursued the poor and needy, and the brokenhearted, to put them to death. He loved to curse, let curses come upon him. He did not delight in blessing, may it be far from him. He clothed himself with cursing as his coat. May it soak into his body like water, like oil into his bones. May it be like a garment that he wraps around him, like a belt that he puts on every day. May this be the reward of my accusers from the Lord, of those who speak evil against my life. But you, 
O God, my Lord, deal on my behalf for your name's sake. Because your steadfast love is good, deliver me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I see the comment. I like the red. Yeah, it's quite red. Uh, This camera doesn't do so well with it. One of the things I like to do on Saturday as well um, is give you meditation about the psalm. And we've talked a little bit about the psalm each day this week. It's not one of the easiest psalms for us to read um, and to pray. Uh, and I think that's because our, our piety gets in the way. That is what we think God would have us say and, and pray, how he would have us um, speak to him. Uh, so I'm going to read to you from, this is from uh, Patrick Henry Reardon. I've read from him before. I think he does an excellent job on the psalms. This is on this psalm. Uh, We'll pray the second half of it next week. Some modern folk evidently find this psalm, Psalm 108 or Hebrew 109, difficult to pray. (laughs) I just said that. For instance, in the schema of the Psalter found in the prayer book currently used by Episcopalians, that's the Book of Common Prayer, the, the entire central section of this psalm, roughly half of it, is listed as optional. All right. Now, I, I, hang my head in shame that they would list part of the psalm as optional. The entire psalm is omitted from our hymnal. So, (laughs) who is worse here? (sighs) All right. Episcopalians, however, may not be the only ones troubled by difficulty, uh, the difficulty of praying the psalm. The sentiments contained in it, after all, seem so violent and vengeful, so greatly at odds with the sort of feelings that one would prefer to have during prayer. For example, quote, When he is judged, let him be found guilty. Let his prayer become sin. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Uh, And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. So you can see all that right here. Verse 13 and 14 and 12 even. This is rough stuff. And what Christian can pray such things? Good question. The real problem nonetheless is not with the psalm, but with ourselves. We modern Christians are far too disposed to establish our personal sentiments, our own spontaneous feelings, as the standard for our prayer. Thus, if the words of a particular prayer, in this case, a psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit, express emotions and responses with which we do not feel comfortable, we tend to think that we are being insincere in praying it. Contemporary Christians have made a virtual fetish of spontaneity in worship, and sincerity nowadays is measured by pulse rhythm. One would think that our Lord had said, quote, I have come that you may have sincere and heartfelt emotions and have them more abundantly. <laughs> I love the sarcasm. That's it's very much in the style of Luther, isn't it? I have come that you may have sincere and heartfelt emotions and have them more abundantly. That's, yeah, parody. It is a big mistake to adopt this attitude, for it places even the authority of God's inspired word under the tribunal of our subjective sentiments. It is not obvious that that to set up our own feelings as a measure of our worship is utterly arrogant. The proper standard for the worship of God is already established in his unfailing word, and no one will pray as he should unless he submits his prayer entirely to the authority of that word. Otherwise, there is a real danger that our worship will express only the unredeemed sentiments of unrepentant hearts. I feel like I need to read that again. The da- there is a real danger that our worship will express only the unredeemed sentiments of unrepentant hearts. If we're going to pray as Christians, 
It is essential that we submit ourselves unreservedly to the authority of the Holy Spirit, who speaks in the inspired words of the Psalms. The present, in the present case, this will likely mean ignoring our feelings on the matter and going on to understand exactly what the psalm does, in fact, say. One of the things that our Lord did during the 40 days between his resurrection and ascension was to explain to the nascent church the correct interpretation of the Old Testament. For example, Luke 24, 25-32, including that of the psalms, which he does in verse 44 and 45 of Luke 24. Moreover, it is recorded that the true meaning of the present psalm, Psalm 108, was one of the subjects that explicitly preoccupied the apostles during the, those ten days that they spent in prayer in the upper room, waiting, awaiting the coming of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, in our limited record of those ten days, this psalm is one of two passages of Holy Scripture actually quoted on their lips, and we talked about this uh, right here. May his days be few, may another take his office, and referring to the appointing of Matthias in place of Judas. Oh, well, he's going to tell me that. Uh, Recall that the sole task appointed to the church during that brief period of preparation was the choice of a successor to Judas Iscariot, Acts 1, and Simon Peter, as he summoned his fellow apostles to that task, announced that they were, in fact, fulfilling a prophecy contained in Psalm 108. He quoted our present psalm with reference to the fallen Judas, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it and let another take his office. All right, so he also quotes. Uh, where's the other half of that? I can't find it, but we prayed that too. In the calamitous career of Judas Iscariot, then we have the interpretive key and context of this very disturbing psalm. It is a sustained reference to that most unfortunate man of whom truth himself said, quote, it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Hmm. It is no wonder that this psalm then is unsettling, for it is concerning, concerned with the danger of damnation. During the several minutes that it takes to pray through this psalm, we are brought face to face with the real possibility of eternal loss, and reminded that, quote, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, a living God, of the living God, Hebrews 10.31. No one enjoys being warned that the apostasy of Jews, Judas, that is, forsaking a faith, could be chosen by any one of us. Yet the story pointedly appears in all four Gospels. Over and over, eight times, the New Testament stresses that the betrayer arose from among the chosen, that is, from one of the twelve. So too is this the distressing, but very necessary, sane and sobering thought raised in this important psalm. I love that line. Very sane, necessary, sane and sobering thought raised in this important psalm. So if you only want to hear things that make you happy and make you feel good, um, you'll never hear the word of warning um, that is necessary uh, to show you again that faith in Christ is absolutely necessary for salvation. All right. First reading today, then, is from Acts chapter 2. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. 
So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. All right. Uh, What a lovely reading. Uh, This is an essential reading, I think, to establish the doctrine of the church, who the church is, and what we are given to do by the Lord. Uh, Some would say, well, Jesus uh, instituted the Lord's Supper, but he didn't institute um, its frequency or, or how it would be, or when it would be celebrated, or where, even. Same with baptism. He says make disciples by baptizing, but um, was that really an essential part of the uh, Christian life, of the uh, teaching of the apostles? How about the gathering together of some, right? Some would say, well, uh, you can be a Christian as long as you have faith in your heart, you believe in Jesus, regardless of um, the gathering together. Uh, of course, the book of Hebrews warns against that, and so does this. All right, and also, uh, what is necessary for salvation? It's the apostle, apostolic doctrine, that is the faith that's been handed down from our Lord. So you see there, uh, the apostles' doctrine. So that's the teaching, as it was given by Jesus, and as it was confessed by the apostles. The fellowship, this is the koinonia, this is the gathering together of Christians around his word and gifts. Okay, This is not having uh, coffee cake and coffee after church. A breaking of bread, of course, is the Lord's Supper. And then prayers, that they gathered in liturgy each day. Beautiful. Now we have the 3,000 souls, which of course um, is, would be a lovely connection, I suppose, to the feeding of the 5,000 and the 5,000 there, souls. Um, we also have them caring for one another, which is a fruit of that faith received um, in Jesus Christ, right? Um, sharing as they had, as all had need. And then notice that they gathered daily, they continued daily with one accord in the temple. All right. So again, there there are those who would say, well, God's word is is you know really uh, compartmentalized. We'll say to one hour of my week, it's important. It's an important hour of my week on Sunday morning, um, or it's a daily part of my life. That's why we have this daily prayer and why I'm making the effort to do that. Notice that they listen to God's word in the temple that is amongst um, the Jews from which they came, um, and then also taught there outside the temple but that the Lord's Supper was celebrated only by the Christians, not in the temple. All right. Um, and one more meditation on this, or consideration, I should say. Um, it is used by um, Philip Melanchthon in the Augsburg Confession. It's used um, both, well, in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, and this is on Article uh, 22. Article 22 is in the, in the Articles of contention with the Roman church. So these were, these were the, some of the doctrines that um, the Lutherans sought to reform, those who, uh, that Luther sought to reform in the Roman church, uh, or to correct, if you like. Right? And one of them is um, receiving the Lord's Supper under both kinds. So if you have family or friends, or you yourself were once a uh, Roman Catholic, you know that, um, especially up through, like, say, 1960, you, uh, uh, in the Roman church, you would only receive um, the host, the bread and not the wine. Um, since 1960, that has largely been omitted, although I understand that under COVID, they kind of resumed that practice because of hygienic reasons. And their argument is that um, there is blood in, in, the bre- in, the, in the flesh. So if you receive the body, then you receive both the body and the blood automatically. But of course, that requires you to actually ignore the command of Christ to receive both kinds. All right? And that's what Luther does uh, in using this text. Let me see if I can find his use. Yeah. Um, in the confutation, that's the Roman Catholic response to the Lutherans, 
our opponents do not even try to explain to the church why one part of the sacrament has been withheld. This is what good religions, uh, religious men ought to do, that is, explain themselves, right? They should have given the church a valid instru- uh, explanation to instruct those who are not permitted to receive the entire sacrament. Just simply say, why? You don't just say, this is how it is. You say, why? Start with why. They should have given a church a valid explanation to instruct those who are not permitted to receive the entire sacrament. These men maintain that it is right to deny one part, and they refuse to grant both kinds. They cannot produce any ancient examples to prove their fiction, that in the beginning of the church it was customary in some places to administer only one part. They quote passages that mention bread, like Luke 24, 35, which says that the disciples recognized Christ in the breaking of the bread. All right, and then also um, in Acts chapter 2, like we see here. They quote other passages that talk about the breaking of the bread, right? But we do, we do not seriously object if someone takes these passages as referring to the sacrament. Just because it's called the breaking of the bread does not mean that the cup was withheld, though, right? That's what they're going to say. Still, it does not follow that only one part was given, for by ordinary usage of language, naming one part also signifies the other. All right? So uh, maybe that's something that you didn't or weren't familiar with that was a practice in the Roman church. Um, but just because the shorthand expression here is the breaking of the bread does not mean that the cup was withheld from the people. Um, similarly, uh, you, might see, you might hear a similar argument about baptism, that often in the book of Acts, baptism is referred to um, being baptized in the name of Jesus. right? And so then they say, well, there's a difference between ba- being baptized in the name of Jesus versus being baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. But of course, that's who Jesus brings, that's who Jesus is. So uh, it's a difference without a distinction. Looks like my internet's getting a little bit sketchy. Um, Hopefully it's still working. My video might be dropping in and out, but hopefully the audio is working just fine. All right. And then, um, again, the alternate Old Testament reading for tomorrow from Isaiah chapter 49. Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth, to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all the desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and those are these from the land of Shanim. Sing, O heavens. Be joyful, O earth. Break out into singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people, and will have mercy on his afflicted. One of the uh, most quoted, um, I'd say, Old Testament scripture texts is right here in verse 8. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Uh, Which is exactly what we see happen in tomorrow's gospel text with the feeding of the 5,000. The Lord looks upon his people and he has compassion on them, and he feeds them. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, right? And as a good shepherd does, he leads them to green pastures. And in that case, feeds them miraculously from bread. Uh, and fish, and then of course uses that occasion in the in, when he is in the synagogue at Capernaum um, the next day to teach um, 
in a, what do you want to say, prophetic way, uh, what he will give in his body and blood in the Lord's Supper. So it's quite, quite brilliant here and a great connection. All right. We confess the table of duties to bishops, pastors, and preachers. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 4. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 1, verse 9. We pray. O Lord Jesus, you are the bishop and overseer of our souls. You are the Lord of the harvest and have commanded us to pray for the gift of pastors, to preach the gospel and shepherd your church. Raise up men for the office of the holy ministry who are above reproach, the husband of but one wife, who are temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach your life-giving word. Deliver all pastors from the self-centered vices of the flesh. Grant them your grace to manage their families well and to bring up their children in the true faith with proper respect and devotion to the word of God. Give them courage to hold firmly to the trustworthy message of the gospel as it has been handed down to them and the wisdom to refute those who oppose it. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. On this Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith and have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We also pray the Lord put an end to all schisms and the causes of offense, that he bring into the way of truth all who have erred and are deceived, that he beat down Satan under our feet, that he send faithful laborers into his harvest, that he accompany his word with grace, with his grace and spirit, that he forgive our enemies, persecutors, and slanderers and turn their hearts, that he give and preserve for our use the kindly fruits of the earth. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray today with Randy and Ella, who celebrate their birthday. Ah, oh, look at that, Ella's. Well, I won't say which birthday, but uh, March 13th is appropriate. We also pray with Justin, who celebrates his baptism. We pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Tristan, grandson of Jerry and Marla Kip, Marcella, Kelsey, Amanda, John, Timothy, Sandy, Linda, and Ken, Aaron, and Penny. We pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. Pray for the work of Camp Luisimo and for Pastor Bloss. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the collect. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 
I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. We'll sing our hymn. Before I do that, uh, good to see you all checking in on the chat here. Um, we've got DJ Yannix actually on Twitch that's watching and uh, prays half an hour a day at least uh, and likes my red shirt too. So thanks for joining us, DJ Yannix. What a great screen name. All right. Let's sing. Baptismal waters cover me as I approach on bended knee. My Father's mercy here I plead for grievous sins of thought and deed. I look to Christ upon the body broken there for me. I lay before him all my sin, my darkest secrets from within. Lord, may our wounded hand impart your healing to my broken heart, your love alone can form in me a heart that serves you joyfully. From your own mouth comes forth a word, your shepherd speaks, but you are heard. Through him your hand now stretches out, forgiving sin, destroying doubt. Baptismal waters cover me, Christ's wounded hand has set me free. Held in my Father's strong embrace, with joy I praise Him for His grace. Again, it's so good to have you all with us here today for our congregation of prayer. I want to give you one update before you leave, so hopefully you catch this and you haven't already jumped off. Um, Many of you have supported our technology fund by which uh, we'll use to upgrade the streaming capacity over at our uh, church. We have some good news as far as the internet service goes. We're making some headway there. There's a big um, expansion of broadband 
in our area that will be coming hopefully in the next year or so using some of the COVID relief funds. So we're excited about that. Um, but as far as the video equipment goes, I've been working for a couple months now on proposals. Uh, we started, I think we did the fundraiser maybe back in November, December, right? And I've uh, been working for many months with a um, really fine tune that proposal, make sure it stays within budget, but gives us the max, maximum capacity. And uh, the vendors, of course, are quite uh, busy as well. Many people are making big technology investments right now. Um, so we, uh, I hope to actually have a final proposal here in the next week or so, and then get that scheduled and get that installed. So um, I think you'll be really pleased with both the quality and, um, well, and capacity uh, of what we'll be able to do uh, for our live streams on Sunday morning and for Sunday Bible study, uh, and maybe other applications over there too during the week. Uh, it's possible I might even be able to do this, might consider doing this over there in the sanctuary, which would be also nice. All right, so I look forward to that. I met with them yesterday, and I'm really happy with the direction we're going. So um, I hopefully will, again, have that quite soon. All right, so Lord be with you all. We'll see you again in the morning at 9.30 for our divine service.